Hi guys, welcome to Therapy Tea. Um, today we have a special guest, Alan, um, and he'll be talking about his program, Keep Those Pounds Off. Um, his program is a weight loss program, but more importantly, it's um, tackling emotional eating and how his program is around changing your mindset and tackling the anxiety and what most people have when it comes to eating. He shares his amazing personal story with us and what led him to create his program. Stay tuned. Welcome to Therapy Tea with Dr. Lisa C., a weekly podcast about all things mental health, positive mindset, and all things life brings us. Join your host as she brings you tips and tools to improve your mental health and optimize your life. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy. Now your host, Dr. Lisa C. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, so today we have a special guest, um, Alan uh, Nemzov from Keep Those Pounds Off. Um, Alan, again, thank you for joining us. I know you have a lot of important information, and um, I'm just grateful that you took time to to come on and share your story and your um, program with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. It really is an honor. And uh, for all our listeners, uh, I would really uh, like to start introducing myself, tell you a little bit about myself. And more important than my credentials is what brought me here. I am a registered nurse. I work in a psychiatric emergency room. I'm also a published author and a certified uh, weight health and weight maintenance coach. I did you choose the word weight maintenance and weight loss, and we'll get to that, uh, why mm -hmm. I do that. Um, really what brought me here, and I'd like to go back to um, freshman year in high school when I was 14 years old, and that was some years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I was in a class of 27 students. And one day our social stu studies teacher comes out and he says, class, I would like to take you out on a field trip. He said, I would love to take you today, but Alan's here and there's not enough room in my car. Oh, and, my and I was absolutely lost. Um, devastated. Yeah. I remember it very, it's like it happened yesterday. Yeah. And nobody said anything. Um, really, nobody responded and really became apparent to me on that day, five deep seated beliefs about myself. Uh, number one, I don't belong in this world. I'm a mistake. Number two, I'm unwanted. Number three, I'm unloved and unaccepted. Number four, I take up way too much space. And I think the worst one is number five, that I'm very different than everybody else. Yeah. And those five deep-seated beliefs plagued me for the next 30 years until I reached a top weight of 312 pounds, taking nine anti-diabetic medications every day, mm 
unable to maintain normal blood sugar levels. And sure, I went on various diets. I went on Weight Watchers. I went on, they didn't have keto back then, but I went on Atkins. I, um, I don't know. I try, I tried so many diets and Herbalife and, and, and I did lose some weight, but Mm -hmm. the inevitable always happened and I gained it back. Yeah. And I didn't understand why I couldn't keep it off. And I, I kind of, I got to a point where I, I really gave up. Um, I kind of decided, you know what, this is just my fate. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't have the right metabolism. Maybe I don't have the right gene genetics. I didn't, I, I certainly didn't think I had enough willpower. I know skinny people have all those things. That's what I believed. And that's why they're able to stay thin. And me, I'm just a failure. And that's what I believed. And I, and I was about to give up really and just accept that, that was my fate, that I was going to be obese my entire life because of multiple, and I, and I say multiple failures in weight loss. Until one day I found this program and they taught me how to lose weight. That was in 2004. So that's uh, 16 years of the time, from the time, 16 years from the time of this recording. And I lost 115 pounds. Wow on this program. And I was determined. How long long did that take you? Uh, A little, about uh, nine months. Okay. Wow. And I was determined that I was going to learn how to keep it off. I had never lost that amount of weight in one time. I think the most that I did lose previously was like 65 pounds at once. Mm -hmm. I'd lost 20. I lost 30. I lost different various amounts, but I never lost that amount of weight. Um, I was like 195 or 197 pounds. And I said, I'm five foot 11. So it was a nice, nice, healthy weight. And I said, Mm -hmm. I am going to figure out how to keep it off. And for the next 16 years, I have done research. I have um, interviewed overweight people. I've interviewed skinny people. And I've really come to an understanding and a solution, more importantly, yeah. of what it takes to keep your weight off and why overweight people keep gaining their weight back. And even though today we're going to talk about emotional eating, but I don't want to leave everybody hanging because I'm sure everybody's mm-hmm. excited. What's the, what's the solution? What's the solution? You what do. is it? What are you what tell us it? The <laughs> Yeah, what's the secret? So I am. I'm going to give you the secret. Um and we are going to talk about emotional eating. That is a topic that I make up with Dr. Lisa to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And I will get into that. I'm very excited about that. I won't leave anybody here with just the problem. I will give you practical solutions that you can put in place today. So I hope you're all excited for that. I will give you, I will give you solutions. But I have to say that the most important thing after I lost my weight was those five deep-seated beliefs changed too, not just my weight. Number one, I believe I belong in this world. Yeah. Number two, I don't believe I'm a mistake. I make mistakes. Number three, I believe I'm wanted. I'm loved. I believe I'm accepted. I don't think I take up too much space. (laughs) And uh, the best part is that I'm not different than anybody else. And that really helps, especially in my work um, with the uh, working in in a psychiatric emergency room where we really get people in the most vulnerable state of, of being, where they're very suicidal, a lot of them, very depressed, very anxious. And they come in and I, I know what that is because I've been there. So I don't, I I treat them very differently. And of course my clients that I have that with my program that I have developed where I help people with, with their uh, weight loss and weight maintenance, um, also, um, 
I can relate to anything that anybody has gone through, any type of emotion or any type of eating behavior that they're ashamed of, I've done worse. So, or at least that's bad, uh, which we're not going to get into today because that's not today's topic. But um, I do want to give the key and to give the secret to that. And really what it amounts to is very simple that every human being, not just human beings, actually every mammal does everything that they do, every action, every behavior that we do, we do with a purpose. Yeah. We do for a reward. There is no random. Now, even if we do random, that is also for a very specific purpose. Today, I want to do random. We make a decision to do random. I just want to be free. I don't want to have any schedule. I just want to exist. I want to be spontaneous for the day. Even that is a reward. And, and some of us don't want to admit that because some of us don't like certain behaviors that we have. But the truth is, no matter what behavior we do and what action we do, we do for a reason. And that's why it's so difficult to convince your friend of your opinion, of your agenda, because they have a different agenda. They may not even be aware of what their agenda is, Yeah. but everybody has an agenda. Everybody, we all have it. Whatever word you want to use, change the narrative, <laughs> agenda, <laughs> reward, um, it's all the same thing. There yeah. is a purpose in every single thing that we do. Skinny people, and I really learned my um, my solution through skinny people because those are the ones that really bothered me the most. I, I, well, I shouldn't say bothered. I don't know if that's the <laughs> word, but um, it really was very interesting because I would interview them and I would tell them, they would tell me they love to eat. Uh -huh. And I didn't believe them. I said, I will tell you what love to eat means. Okay, you go to a buffet and you take a plate and you fill it up the first time. And that doesn't, that's not really eating because that's taste testing. I just want to figure out which items I like. And then when I figure out the item that I enjoy, then I go back for seconds and thirds, sometimes fourths for the one that I really enjoy. And then we go to the dessert table. So to me, that was loving to eat. They would take one plate, maybe they would fill it up, usually not. And most of the time they wouldn't even complete it. And even if they did go to the dessert table afterwards, they certainly never went up for seconds. But if they went up to the dessert table, they could eat a half a piece of cake. And I never understood, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you take three spoons of chocolate pudding and not finish the entire bowl? Like, like, how do you do that? Or how do you stop? Cream? Yeah, how do you, how do you stop? And I realized that they also have an agenda. And skinny people have an agenda. And their agenda is they hate being overweight. They don't like it. They really, really don't want to be overweight. So... Therefore, if they have a party that they want to go to, they're invited to a party, for example. So the three days before, they're already preparing for that party. And they're eating less three days before. The day of, they eat almost no carbohydrates. They may eat just a little bit. And then they enjoy themselves at the party. And for two or three days afterwards, the next day, they're in the gym and they're working out. They're certainly not overeating the next day. And that's why you see them eat and you say, how do you say skinny? Well, they've yeah. prepared five days for this party. And they do it not, without even thinking about it. They've already conditioned their mind to do it. So their reward of not being overweight trumps that desire to take an extra bite. It's not willpower. It's not motivation. It's not mindset. It's not determination. It's not genes. It's not uh, metabolism, which are all great words. 
none of which, if you ask any chronic dieter, none of which, none of which will keep your weight off. No. So they love to eat, but they love to be skinny more than they love to eat. And that reward trumps their desire to take an extra bite. So the question is, if they also love to eat, how come overweight people can't get skinny? Or statistics show that over 90% of overweight people who lose their weight gain it back within a year. Why would you do that? If you've already lost your weight and you feel light and you have more energy and you're sleeping better and you're breathing better and you're moving better and you can bend down and tie your shoes, all of which I could not do. You can make it up the staircase without without being out of breath all of the advantages of being skinny. I remember the first time I lost weight, I thought well, it was a monkey. I was working in a, uh, I was a butcher in a, in a, in a supermarket. And all of a sudden I started climbing. I was scaling the, um, the storage uh, uh, shelves. shelves, shelving in the, in, in, and I didn't even know what happened. Like all of a sudden, cause like, I could never do this stuff. Like, like all of a sudden I had so much energy and I was so light. <laughs> so, so why would you, if you feel so light and feel so good about yourself, why would you revert to old eating habits? Yeah and gain your weight back. And that's because overweight people also have a reward. And our reward is that overweight people are petrified about being hungry. We are afraid to be hungry. So we don't actually eat, we swallow. Overweight people don't eat, we swallow. We don't actually enjoy our eating. We're swallowing food. And the more we eat, the more we can calm that fear. And unless that fear is addressed, and you transition what I call from a fat mind to a skinny mind, mm-hmm. you will gain your weight back and you will struggle with weight loss your entire life. And what my program does, it's a three-step program. People say, okay, what do I eat? What do I eat? And there's a lot of confusion. I don't like the word diet because the three, first three letters of diet is die. Mm-hmm. I really don't like that word. I, and weight loss also isn't good because, oh my gosh, I'm taking something away. I'm losing something. So I call it food plan and weight maintenance because that's really what I'm teaching you to do to get to your goal weight. And it's a simple three-step process. First of all, what do I got to eat? There's a lot of confusion. So I take care of that because, but a lot of people know what to eat. You know that an apple is better than a cookie. I mean, you don't need need me or or Dr. Lisa or anybody to tell you (laughs) that you're better off eating an apple than a cookie. Yeah. So, but what to eat is just very simple. You eat your carbohydrates, you eat your proteins, you eat your vegetables, you eat your fruit, you have your fat, you have your dairies, you drink eight glasses of water, and you're good to go, you know, good portions, and, and that's it. It's, it's not rocket science. But there is a lot of confusion because people try all these crazy things. And they realize that that is not enough. That information is not sufficient to allow people to lose weight long term. We're talking about long term here. We're not talking about a fad diet or a keto or intermittent yeah. fasting where you're going to lose weight really quickly and then gain because you have a wedding and you want to fit into a dress and you're going to gain it back. We're not, we're not addressing that today. So we teach people how to eat. And we figure that's about habit change. We teach them how to chew because people don't chewing. They're swallowing. So we teach them how to do that. But even that, as I said, people revert. And the bottom line of how you keep your weight off is why you eat. And if, when that's addressed and why you have this fear of being hungry, and it can come and can manifest in many different ways. It could be that you were in a childhood where you felt deprived yeah. and, and, and there's just not enough and you're afraid that there's not going to be enough for you there. And what happens is, is that the body doesn't trust you when you start to lose weight. Yeah. And when you're in fight or flight mode, those people know what that is. 
when you're in stress mode. So the biggest thing about stress mode is fight or flight is that your metabolism shuts down. So even if you're eating healthy, but you're still in fight or flight, lettuce is going to turn to fat because the body is storing your food as fat and people don't recognize that. So first thing we got to do is we got to calm the anxiety, which is what we're going to talk about the emotional eating today. Yeah. And if you don't calm it, even if you're eating healthy and you go on diet, it doesn't work long-term because you must address the anxiety. Why are you afraid? But not just anxiety, which is what we're going to talk about, Dr. Lisa, but it's more important and you're going to see why, and I'm going to prove it to you. So that's the secret. The secret is that you have to build trust. The one word, if you want to break it down to one word of how to keep your weight off long-term, it's trust. Your body has to trust you. And just like when you go out on a date and you start a relationship and one of the partners does something erratic, the other partner is going to run away. Now, people who have been married for many years and one day somebody works acts out of character, you're not going to get divorced over it. You're going to discuss it. Now, if the behavior continues, obviously, then that's a different story. But everybody's allowed a bad day. The body doesn't trust you. So one day you start to go on this healthy food plan and you think that your body is going to deplete all that unwanted fat, they go, no, I do not trust you, Alan. I've seen <laughs> what, what you, you've done What are you doing years. to me? What are you doing to me? Why are you <laughs> depriving me from my nutrition? So until you build up that trust, then the body, once you do build up the trust, I should say, then the body will let go of that unwanted fat never to return. How do you get there? It's through the one word is planning. So planning and trust are really the two words because planning will build trust. All those other words, the great words, motivation, mindset, metabolism, genetics, um, consistency, determination, all wonderful words. And I would love to meet somebody who has used any of those words and been able to maintain long-term weight loss. I would love to meet that person. I haven't met them yet, myself included, because I realize that those words don't work, even willpower. I mean, how many times can you have willpower? You know, how long can you keep willpower going for? But when you build trust and it comes through planning, then you really get to a point where you're working in unison with your body and the body depletes that unwanted fat. And that's one of my three-step process is what you eat, how you eat, which is for about a month because we got to detox you from sugar. Most people come in and they're drunk on sugar and they can't yeah. really get down to the why you eat. And then the last eight weeks, well, actually, I added another topic. So it's actually nine weeks is I focus on the why you eat. And that's why my clients are not just losing weight, but they're keeping it off. And I don't teach them to lose weight. I teach them how to keep it off. And that brings us to this week's topic, which is emotional eating. And hopefully this preface will help to understand a little bit more about the emotional eating. And when you talk about emotional eating, people say, oh my gosh, I got to stop eating. I just got to stop eating. And the most important word they think in emotional eating is eating. I disagree. The most important word in emotional eating is emotions. Mm -hmm. It's not eating. Because... You just focus on the eating and you're still, and you don't get down to roots and causes. You're oh, just wow. going to keep up. So I created a four stage. Um, it's not a process, but I broke down anxiety into four stages. It's something that 
I've, um, I created through my research as well as my personal experience. And I do like to differentiate things that are evidence-based practice. In other words, that I've, that I've, uh, I've come across through research and some of it that's with my experience because things that are from my experience, then it's based on my perception. So you may have a different perception and that's okay. So I do like to, dis- to discern so that the audience can understand this is scientifically based and this is Allen based. <laughs> so um, this process of the what, how and why, even though it's my process, is definitely scientifically proven and it follows a very, very specific scientific process the person must go through, must go through in order to keep your weight off or for today to reduce sugar cravings. So we don't have a camera here in um, on podcast, but everybody can get themselves a piece of paper and a pen and I'll give you a moment and you can pause this and come back to it because, and if you're driving, obviously you can't do that, but you can come back to it and, and, and do it afterwards because it's really important to see these four stages visually. Just me um, talking about it is not going to have the same effect. So once you have your piece of paper, I want you to take a piece of paper and a pen and you don't have to draw a clock, but we're going to use a clock as our diagram. So at nine o'clock, I want you to write the word anxiety. Okay. So you got the word anxiety. Then at 12 o'clock, I want you to write the word cravings. And then, so you have nine o'clock anxiety, 12 o'clock cravings. This doesn't mean that at nine o'clock you have anxiety, (laughs) at 12 o'clock you have cravings. We're just using it for the diagram. And then at six o'clock, I want you to write the word sugar. Now I want you to, once you have those three words, nine, 12, and six, I want you to draw an arrow connecting them. So from uh, which, and which direction is important, you want to do it count, uh, clockwise. So you want to draw from 9 to 12 an arrow, and then you want to draw an arrow from 12 till 6, and then you want to draw another arrow from 6 to 9. nine. This is the basic stage of emotional eating. And how does it start? It starts with anxiety. Anxiety leads to cravings. Mm-hmm. Right, six o'clock, uh, nine o'clock is anxiety. Twelve o'clock is cravings. That leads to sugar, and I use sugar as a broad term. Obviously, it can be any substance. Some people grab alcohol Bad or alcohol. Yeah. Some, some people grab alcohol. Some people grab carbohydrates. Um, what do you grab? Right. Everybody grabs something. Some people grab their phone. But we're talking about uh, substance. Um, so I'm just using the word sugar for today, and then. That leads to back to anxiety. So obviously the substance is not minimizing the anxiety. So what do people do when they're living in stage one? Because this is stage one. So if you're going to try to attack cravings at 12 o'clock, um, it's futile. I mean, it's almost impossible to attack cravings. And I know there are people, there are theories that talk about what cravings is teaching me. My body is trying to tell me things. Very, very nice. You can't attack cravings, okay? Let's just take that. It's almost <laughs> impossible. So we're not going to go down that road. And when I when I when I discovered this, I gave myself a huge sigh of relief. Phew, 
I mean, I don't have to do that because it was almost impossible. I mean, how many times do you have willpower? I mean, really, yes, you can white knuckle, as they say, you know, a couple of times, but it's really, a, we're looking for a long-term solution here. We're really not looking for a quick fix right now. You will have instant results as far as your quick fix. You absolutely will, but it's really not a long-term solution. And we really want to focus on long-term solutions. So you can't attack cravings. So what do people do? They go on a diet and they say, you know what? I got to stop eating. But the cycle keeps going and you keep going to anxiety and you keep going to cravings. And again, you start willpower and you start and, and you get frustrated because this isn't working. So you go into what I was into yo-yo dieting. And what usually happens is you now go into stage two. So stage two, you can keep the same, the same um, diagram that we have. And where it says anxiety at nine o'clock, add the word worry, because now you're worried. Now things are not working for you. Um, you the, the sugar, the substance, the alcohol, whatever it is you're grabbing is not working as well. You think that maybe if I increase the dosages, you know, maybe if I drink a little more, a little more often, or if I eat a little bit more sugar, um, or, you know, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, maybe that will help. And the cravings are starting to increase. Why? Because the anxiety is increasing. So naturally the cravings increase. Once the cravings increase, we go down to, so you put a little arrow by in front of cravings. So your cravings are going up. Now we go into the six o'clock, which is sugar and carbohydrates or just an increased amount. So now you're, you're eating and, and or drinking more. Your anxiety is going up. You're starting to worry. And the cycle is getting a little bit harder to manage than it was in stage one. Stage one is still manageable. Stage two is a little harder to manage. And we're not talking about a one-day transformation from stage one to stage two. This can go on for months, and it can go on for years. The time that it exasperates or goes even quicker, somebody, God forbid, goes through a traumatic event. Somebody loses a loved one. Mm-hmm. Somebody loses a job, especially during COVID, people are able to transform and escalate from stages quicker than they would normally because there's added stressors in life. Yeah. But generally, these things do take several months or even several years. And there are a lot of people that live at stage two for a long time. They live for several years and they learn how to cope with stage two. They go on diets, they lose a little weight, then they gain it back. They don't really, they don't really get into why. It's still a more managed, stage two is still a manageable stage, but it is uncomfortable. And as it gets uncomfortable, we get to stage three. And most of the clients that come to me um, are somewhere between stage two and stage three. Uh, some people are in between, Rarely are they at stage two unless they've done a lot of soul searching, a lot of work themselves before they came to me. It is a rarity that somebody comes to me in stage two. It's usually stage three. Stage three, obviously, your anxiety has increased. Your worry has increased. So we're going to add that. You're going to add frustration. We're going to add anger. We're going to add resentment. We're going to add fatigue, which is a biggie. And the reason why we're adding fatigue is because we're adding weight gain. Because now, because you've been using your substance more, you're going to gain more weight unless alcohol is your substance. You're not necessarily going to gain weight because of eating alcohol, but you're definitely going to add fatigue because you're drained from crashing after you, you know, from a hangover. So 
you have more fatigue, you have more anxiety, you have more worry, you have more frustration, you have more anger because you're angry at yourself. And then you start becoming angry at everybody else because you don't want to admit that you're angry at yourself. Life is becoming pretty, pretty unmanageable at this time. And now when we go up to the cravings, we're adding another thing, cravings and energy. And this is what happens. What happens because you're in, you're in fatigue, so now you got to eat sugar and caffeine in order to give you energy because you're lacking energy. So when you wake up in the morning, you're going to have a coffee or two or three. You're going to add extra sugar there because you're out of energy. You're going to have a bagel. Or you're going to have a donut. Or you're going to have a Danish with it. And then what happens at three o'clock when your cortisol, and we're not going to get into that right now, but when your metabolism starts to slow down, which is a natural course of a person's metabolism through the day, you start to your blood sugars lower because they're getting ready for the evening to go to sleep. Of course, none of us do that at three o'clock, but we take five hour drinks at that time. We take an extra cup of coffee at that time. We're going to eat another, we eat a snack at that time. So if you're ever wondering why three, two, between two and four, you're getting hungry. That is why, because your blood sugars are lowering, you need energy. So now you're taking an excess amount of caffeine and energy and, and some type of energy booster. And then when it comes to nighttime, you go to sleep, you can't fall asleep because you're still jittery, not just from your whole situation, but from the substances that you took to calm the situation, which are also, which are obviously counterproductive. So you're not sleeping well. So when you wake up in the morning, you're more, you're more tired. So you have more fat fatigue. So you need more energy. You need more caffeine. Are you getting, you're getting an idea of this, of this cycle that you're living in? This is, this is the cycle three and people live between two and three for years and they don't understand why they can't stop. And then you get to where I was. And most people are not, thank God, um, that come to me. The people that come to me in the emergency room, a lot of them are already at stage four. And stage four, you just take all those words that we added till now, but you start to add, actually in stage three, I'm sorry, there is one more thing to add is medications. People start to take medications. So they either take medications like I took, which are just healthy anti-diabetic medications. Some people start to take anti-anxiety medications like a Xanax, like a benzodiazepam or something like that, which is highly addictive. Or they start taking sleep medications like they take Ambien or they take melatonin or they take Trazodone. They take other types of medications or if they started smoking, they're going to take Wellbutrin to help them stop their smoking and so on and so forth. So we want to add medications to stage three because that's really where the medication uh, inset starts in stage three. Not necessarily antipsychotics, but definitely anti-anxiety and definitely um, uh, sleep um, uh, to help with their insomnia, you know. So in stage four, you're coming, you're obviously in a pretty rough state. You know, you have the anxiety through the roof, your stress, your worry, your anger, your fear now has increased tremendously because things are just not going well and you're very scared. Feeling unstable is a horrible place to be because everything that you have tried has not worked. Not because you're a bad person, not because... You don't know, you, you don't, you haven't tried well or you're not doing things well. The problem is, is you just focused on the wrong thing, which is what I'm going to teach you today. That's the only problem. It's really very simple. And you've tried all these things and your friends have told you what to try and you Googled all this information and, 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 and it's just not stopping. And 
there are people who have traumatic um, stressors that have gone through. They're going through a divorce, God forbid, or they've lost a job. So these, all these things, or lost a loved one, these will definitely add and increase, I should say, your stage process. So in stage four, you have a tremendous amount of fear. So your cravings are through the roof. You definitely can't start with there. Going on a diet is almost impossible in stage four because just the thought of it is just like ridiculous. I mean, even in stage three, you could try to go on a diet and it never really works long-term and, you, and you're gonna see why. So we have an edit, added thing in the cycle of stage four at from six o'clock to nine o'clock, instead of it going back to nine o'clock to the anxiety, there's an offshoot and there's another arrow there off and you add into depression because now you're depressed and you reach such a level of depression where you're suicidal in that stage four. And if you can thank your lucky stars, which I can, I don't know. I don't know why I was saved, even though I had suicidal ideations and suicidal thoughts because I was in stage four. But I believe God just came down and lifted me out of my when I let myself into a crisis center and gave me the solution. And that's what I do what I do. That's yeah. why I help. Because I was I'm sorry, I'm getting tearing when I think about it, because I remember what it was like about 18 years ago. It was it was a very dark place in my life. And I got out of it, I'm very grateful to say, and I lost my weight. And to have been given that solution and to live the life that I live is just amazing. It's remarkable. Yeah. So what happens is when people there are people in stage three. So we're, going, we're not going to talk a lot about stage four. That's why I talk about people who come to the hospital. But we're not, we're not talking to people who are in the hospital right now. I, I hope not. <laughs> um, but if you are, well, um, get the help that you need. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. But what happens to a lot of people in stage three is they start to work on themselves. And they start to get into a little bit of therapy, for instance, maybe they work with Dr. Lisa or they work with other people and they start to better life. And what happens is they get to stage two. So there's improvement and they feel better. And then they stop. Why? Because I used to be in three. Now I'm in stage two. I'm used to stage two. Stage two is a pretty manageable thing. Yeah. Even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm used to it. There's comfort in the familiar. And they stop at stage two because why should I do more work? It's too much effort. I'm good here. The problem with that is we've never really gotten down to the source when you go down from three to two. We've kind of alleviated a lot of the symptoms. So you're feeling better. Maybe you're not taking as many medications. You're losing a little bit of weight. You're feeling good about yourself. You're starting to feel brighter. You're not as anxious. Hey, good stuff. Absolutely. But they stop at stage two because we've never addressed that fear, the original fear, which started stage one. We never yeah. addressed it. Then what happens then they quickly go back to stage three and four. My goal with my clients is to get them prior to stage one. So we're going to go into stage one, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And this was just preparing the platform to understand. It. So stage one, and it's not going to take a long time. I'm not going to go into um, great depth. I, 
don't want to bore anybody. And I, and I thank you for uh, listening thus far. If you're still here, you're, you're a real uh, trooper. Um, how do you stop stage one? How do you do it? We already spoke about addressing the cravings. And I think by now you can, you can agree with me as Dr. Lisa already agreed that attacking cravings is not going to stop this cycle. Going on a diet, going on a weight loss program in of itself if you're, is not going to stop the cycle either. Yeah. Maybe temporarily, very temporarily. Addressing the anxiety in of itself is also not because anytime you have any little stress, you're jumping right to cravings and then to sugar and then boom, you're back. So how do you stop this damn cycle? How do you get out of it? Obviously, getting pauses through coping mechanisms, through music and things as such is really great just to give you a pause. Medications are not a cure. I'm not against them totally. Not that anybody's asking me my opinion, but I'm just telling you that they are not a cure. They hopefully can just manage the symptoms and manage the symptoms a little bit. So now you can address the real thing. It's really it's really you got to attack it at two sides. You really got to attack the sugar. Because the sugar is a uh, one of these drugs, and I do use the word drug, and I don't use it lightly. I use it very seriously. Caffeine and sugar is an acceptable drug. It's really no difference than heroin and cocaine. It's an acceptable drug. I'm not going to get into alcohol because alcohol is actually a depressant. It causes depression. Yeah, that's what but, I tell all my patients, and some yeah. of them don't realize that. And you know, when once I tell them, they they understand why they're feeling worse after you know. The, the night after they go drinking. Yeah, yeah, because if you have a depressive side to you and yeah. you're drinking alcohol, you're jumping from stage two to stage four pretty quickly. Yep. But um, but sugar and caffeine, I remember when I went into rehab, um, 2003 it was, just before I lost my weight, or 2004, uh, they didn't allow us to have any sugar or any caffeine. Um, they, I think they allowed them one cup of coffee in the morning. I think it was a decaf. Um, we really didn't because the emotional instability that causes. So you really got to attack it from both ways. You got to get on a healthy food plan, not in a healthy diet, a healthy food plan. And it takes 30 days to detox from sugar. So the first 30 days, you really can't address the anxiety. You really got to go on a healthy food plan. There's a million out there. I'll be more than happy if somebody wants to email me, keep those pounds off at Gmail. I'll, I love to respond. Um, you can get my free uh, 10 Ninja weight loss tips that I've uh, created a video. It's actually 11. I added a bonus, but I'm more than happy. If anybody wants to email me, I'm more than happy to send them for free. Um, keep those pounds off at Gmail, and I will send you a link where you can download and watch my uh, 10, 10 uh, free Ninja weight loss tips. But So you have to attack that. Then after a month that you've basically calmed down, you have to get to the source of the anxiety. And that's how you're going to stop the cycle. And I talk from personal experience because when that stipe cycle crumbles, oh, life is so wonderful. Life yeah. is so wonderful. You're not gonna, it's not gonna disappear completely. I can anxiety, say that anxiety is a normal emotion. I tell everyone, you know, you'll have some sort of anxiety once in a while when you uh go on an interview. You know, it's it kind of sure. it's kind of also what keeps us from from um getting into trouble. And, and so anxiety is a normal emotion. Um, you don't Absolutely. get rid of it completely. You don't get rid of it completely, but I can say that I used to live 
between stage two and stage three for 95 percent of my of my day. And well, I don't mean my day because some days it was 100 percent, but I'm saying 95 percent of my life and five percent. I was maybe just before stage one. Now I'm 95 percent pre stage one and about five percent of the time I'm in stage one. I have not been in stage two in many a day, uh, really haven't. And I'm very grateful for that. And I continue to do the work that I talk about. And that's, as you can see, Dr. Lisa, I don't have very many notes over here because I don't yeah. really need notes. I'm talking from my heart. I don't want to you're, talk from your head. You're passionate about it, which is amazing. Because this is this is my life. This is how I live. So I want you to know that there's two levels of anxiety. And Dr. Singh, um, who's the chief psychiatrist at Mount Sinai Hospital, the hospital that I work, he gave a lecture on this a couple months ago, and it was really phenomenal. There's two types of anxiety, two, two levels of anxiety. There is, and, and he used the word worry instead of anxiety, but it's really interchangeable. And there's those people that are worry wards that are always worrying. They get to a level, and I certainly can attest to this because I was subject to this myself. I was a victim to this, I guess you could say, that we use anxiety, worry, whichever word you want to use, as a coping mechanism. We can imagine, we've done it so often because we've never really addressed the source of the anxiety, we can't imagine living without it. We can't imagine going through an event without fear. We can't imagine going through an event without anxiety. And then we're like, ah, relief, I got through it. You ever seen those people? I'm sure... I'm sure some people can relate to that, you know, oh, I got through it, whatever it was, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to go shopping. I, I don't know if you ever met these people. I, I have to go to the store. And this, I mean, today we do Amazon, but even, you know, those <laughs> days when we still do shop, there's going to be a long line where I have to get gas. There's going to be a long line and oh my gosh, and I better go this time. And then they get there and it's, and everything's okay. Says, I'm sorry. And everything's okay. And they yeah. did it. My and mom, Yeah. My mother always says, "Never, ne- nothing is ever as good or as bad as we anticipate to be. Yeah. But because we have conditioned ourselves that we can't imagine going through an event without worry, and it's actually a coping mechanism. And then we get to level two, which is we worry that we worry so much. Yeah. And it's a deeper level of worry. It's a deeper level of anxiety. So those are two levels of anxiety. So how do you break from that? Because that's what I promised you all today that I was going to teach you solutions to get out of that. And I want you to know that there's two types of stress. And I'm sure Dr. Lisa can can attest to this. There's modifiable stress and there's non-modifiable stress. Now, whenever I ask my people, okay, coronavirus, is it modifiable or is it non-modifiable? Well, it's obviously a non-modifiable stress. It came into our life. It's an illness. It's not something that we brought upon ourselves. It's non-modifiable. However, the media is making it a modifiable stress. The media is adding panic to a pandemic. Nobody's refuting the fact that we are in a pandemic. Nobody is debating or, or, or denying that there, people are dying from a, a, from a coronavirus. We're, we're not talking about that. Yeah. The anxiety and the fear that goes on, just wear your mask, wash your hands, and you'll be fine. I contracted corona. I treated a patient that was positive, and I got it. Okay. I was not worried, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm okay. And I learned a lot, and I'm not going to get into that. That will be the <laughs> for another day. But I learned about sugar cravings on that day. But we're not going to talk about that. But I believe... 
that the reason why I was okay is my whole attitude. I was never concerned. I was never worried that I was going to get very sick. And I got a mild case of it. I don't know what my viral load was, but whatever it was, I took care of myself. I took extra vitamins. I took, you know, we didn't know a lot back then. I got it back in the, the end of March or the beginning of April. And uh, I was out for about two weeks and then lingered on for about four to six weeks. I lost my taste of uh, sense of taste, which is the weirdest thing in the world. But regardless, <laughs> the point is, is that the media has taken a non-modifiable stressor and created it into a modifiable stressor, which is something that we do a lot. So how do you discern a modifiable stressor or non-modifiable stressor? Well, it's very simple. Can you do anything about it? Well, no, then it's a non-modifiable stressor. Can you do something about, you said in Texas, you had this hurricane. Can you do anything about the hurricane itself? No. You can't. It's a non-modifiable stressor. Can you do something about it? Yeah, you can board up your windows. You can you can take things off uh, high high places so they don't get broken and so on and so forth. Whatever we do, if we have to evacuate, we do certain things. But the actual stress of a hurricane is non-modifiable. Somebody gets an illness. Somebody loses a job. It's a non-modifiable stressor. Like Dr. Lisa says, you're going to have anxiety. Those are non-modifiable stressors. What is the question that you ask yourself? to get yourself through that. And I promised you solutions. The one question that will keep you sane, if you wanna say, is what can I control now? What can I feel? How we react, our reactions. Absolutely, what can I control now? And I don't use feelings as a determination of how I'm doing because sometimes you can drink a half a bottle of alcohol and feel really good, but you're really, pretty crappy yeah and or you can eat a half a cake and feel really good because it's delicious but you're really in a bad spot and sometimes you're working on yourselves and you're going through maybe some withdrawal and 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 you're getting yourself better so you may not feel that great but you're really doing really really well so how do you determine how well you're doing i say that you'd look at other people around the world if you see your people in your in your direct contact either your loved ones or friends or people that you see on the street and you're looking at them with love and compassion, then you're doing really good. But if you're looking at them at ang- with anger, if somebody cuts in front of the line and you're like royally pissed at them, if somebody cuts you off while you're driving and you start swearing at them or screaming at them, any of these things, you're not doing well. So how do you get past it? Because that's the whole point here. So once while I was, while I was in uh, exercising, I thought of this acronym from the word idiot. And I'm... I'm sure, Dr. Lisa, I know you don't, may want to not want to admit it. You've worked with idiots, right? People, anybody who works in a job work with idiots. So what do you do with people who are idiots? So I took the word idiot and I broke it down into an acronym. And it is, I did it once too. Whatever it is that they've done, I've done it too. Have I, have I cut somebody off while I'm driving? I'm sure. Have I looked at my phone and therefore, I drive a little slower and somebody behind me is driving slow? Absolutely. Have I said something that I really didn't want to say? Absolutely. So today is your day to be an idiot. Enjoy it. I was an idiot yesterday. You, whoever the you is, tolerated me yesterday. Thank mm-hmm. you for tolerating me. I'm going to tolerate you yourself. I'm going to tolerate you t- today. So idiot, I did it once too. It's a great way not to jump right into anxiety, not to yeah. write 
jump right into anger, a, or- a, a anger, frustration, and certainly not resentment. I mean, what do you need that for? Really? Do you really need it? And I understand people who are in coping mechanism anxiety, chronic anxiety, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, we find ways where we can be angry. We find situations where we can be angry because this way it'll fuel our anxiety because that's really what we're looking for to be able to keep, go through that event with anxiety. But if you're at a level where it's not working for you, then maybe you want to try some of these solutions. Number two, and that's where we're going to end because we've been going for a long time and I <laughs> don't want to um, bore everybody. I think if anybody's still listening, wow. God oh, bless. no, it's good, great information. I'm sure everyone is still listening. So the, the other thing that I use, I took the word stop, think, gone. Three words. Stop, think, gone. And I broke them down into acronyms to each one of those three words. So if you're opening up your fridge at 11 o'clock at night, and if you're at that place where like, ah, if I eat it, I'm going to feel like crap afterwards. If I don't eat it, I still feel like crap. And you're like sitting there, standing there with your fridge open and your, um, you know, your food is going bad as the fridge is open. <laughs> and you're like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If anybody has ever been there, I've been there plenty. What do you do? How do you, how do you break this cycle? How do you break this cycle? Stage, stage one. Stop thing gone. Stop. Step to other position. If you're sitting, stand. If you're standing, sit. If you're driving, maybe pull over to the side. Whatever you're doing, step to other position. Just move. They have, they have a thing that they say in, you know, in recovery, uh, um, move a muscle, change a thought. Stop, think, stop. First thing is step to other position. Do something. Make a movement. A lot of times, first of all, just a side note, if you're hungry, sometimes it's just thirst. But whatever. Think. You've paused already, okay? You did the stop, you moved, now you've already paused. So you've stopped the cycle for a moment, which is really all we really need. We just need a moment of pausing so the cycle doesn't go straight to craving, straight to sugar or substance. So we get to think, the heck I need to know. I need to know what's going on. Am I fearful? Am I anxious? Am I worried? Am I concerned? Am I okay? And maybe this emotion just came in because I've, I've, I've studied this stuff and a lot of people say that emotions just come. It doesn't necessarily have to be because of anything that's going on in my life. They can just come in. All of a sudden, a wave of sadness can just come over us and nobody has really been able to um, determine where that comes from. Yeah. Maybe the weather changed for a moment. Who knows? It, it, it can just come in for the moment. So think. Maybe it's nothing. Stop thinking. And then gone, get out, either no eating, G-O-N-E, or new energy. Mm. Gone. I like Stop that. Stop gone. One thing I want to say, you can reset the button 24-7. And that's a beautiful thing about being alive. Whatever you're going through, whatever it is, I guarantee you that people are going worse than you. And that's not to, va- not, to not validate your feelings or not to... Um, deny or affirm that you're going through a rough time. It's very possible that you are and not to compare yourself to anybody because comparing is worse. And I'm humbled because when I work with my patients, it humbles me. I'm complaining about the color tiles in my bathroom and these people <laughs> don't have a place to live, you know, yeah. but it is helpful sometimes to really recognize that there are people who um, have it worse. Yeah. What do you do? Why am I saying that? Because to get into gratitude, 
And what is the difference between gratitude and negativity? And will this, I will, will mm -hmm. I end? Negativity is a perception. Gratitude is reality. Because gratitude is about what you have. Yeah. Nobody can take away what you have. And I'll give you an example. I'm not saying about me personally, but just an example. I live in a house, but I don't own the house. So the but is the negativity. That's a perception. Yes, I know you don't own the house. Who cares? I have a mortgage. I also don't own my house. I pay a mortgage. <laughs> But the point is that I live in a house. I have a place to live. That is gratitude. That is reality. Nobody yeah. can tell you you don't have where to live. The negativity is the perception. So whenever you have a negativity about something, you should realize that is your perception. And we can get into a whole talk about that. We're not going to do that because we'll be here for another hour <laughs> talking about that. That's it for another day. But just be grateful for what you have, whatever it is. You woke up this morning. Wow. That's awesome. You made your bed? Amazing. You took a shower and brushed your teeth? Wow. If you did exercise? Phew. If you didn't? Okay. You're you're up. You got dressed. You got out of bed. There are days when getting out of bed was like such a huge win. Now it's a small win, thank God. You can have so many wins before you start your breakfast and before you start your day. I agree. So, just be in gratitude. Just be grateful at any time. It can always be worse. Can it be better? No, because it was. if it was meant to be better, it would be. Right now, it's perfect the way it is. And you want more, you'll get more. I promise you, with that, with that attitude, you'll get more. Just be in gratitude. So I thank you all for listening. Once again, if anybody wants to connect, they can look me up on, on the website, uh, keepthosepoundsoff.com. You'll see my before and after picture. Yay. Yes, I want to see that too. <laughs> and um well you already see my my after picture dr lisa and uh you can email me if you email me keep those pounds off at gmail i will send you for free absolutely free um my um 10 ninja tip weight loss tips and thank you thank you dr lisa it was really an honor yeah no thank you thank you for taking your time and that was amazing information i know it's going to help a lot of people Thank you for sharing your amazing story. I admire you and I, you know, got teary-eyed too. Thank you. So thank you. I will plug in. Um, I will uh, actually uh, put your information on the show notes and the description. So if anyone is uh, wanting to contact him, uh, contact Alan um, for any information. Thank you again, Alan, for sharing I your amazing it. story. Thank we'll you. See you next time. Thank you, Lisa. Bye -bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at Dr. Lisa Cortez and online at www.drlisacortez.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, remember, healthy mind, healthy you.